Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. If people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Ever since President Trump pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal today, I've heard it's good for stocks, that it's bad for stocks, that it doesn't matter for stocks. I think what really matters is that you knew this was coming if you were paying attention, which is why today ended up pretty tame. Dow inching up three points, has to be declining 0.03%, NASDAQ advancing 0.02%. What's amazing to me is the sheer incoherence of this market. <laughs> break down what's going on so you can understand the way this market works. There are some markets where it pays to be smart, to really think things through, to be an intelligent person. This market is not one of them. This is a straightforward market that's as dumb as a bag of hammers. And if you want to beat the averages here, the trick is you can't overthink anything. That was easy. To put it another way, this is a Captain Obvious market. For example, today when the uh, when buyers flock back to the defense stocks, I mean, it, it was kind of like, are you kidding me? It's that easy? But then why not? Anything that antagonizes Iran makes the Middle East a more volatile neighborhood. While that's bad news for the world, it's very good for the defense stocks. But here's what's crazy about this move. The defense stocks have been flying for most of the year because of tensions in Korea and to a lesser extent tensions in the Middle East. Then amazingly, the group was hit by a one-two punch that really shocked people and decked the stocks. First, President Trump pushed for some sort of peace deal between North and South Korea, and it actually looks like something might be getting done. From that moment, the defense cohort started rolling over. Then Lockheed Martin, the best breed in the group, gave you a downbeat cash flow forecast. General Dynamics followed up with some weak business jet orders. Raytheon, the big missile maker, sold off when its upside surprise turned out to actually be a downside surprise. Stock nosedive from 228 to 197 at lows last week. And the pin action? Crushed the group. Now, the thing is, this market has absolutely no memory whatsoever. In the last few days, as we started presuming that President Trump would reject the Iran deal, money started flowing right back into the defense stocks that were hated because of those problems I just mentioned. The leaders, Northrop Grumman and Harris Corp., which were pushed hard by Goldman Sachs today. But right behind them, General Dynamics, problems with the business jets. Lockheed Martin, the cash flow issue, right? Raytheon, the downside surprise. But uh, that was a long time ago, right? I mean, they were the biggest losers. But uh, let this be a reminder to you that defense stocks trade up on fears of war and they go down on earnings. We already got the earnings over with, so they can rally freely on these new tensions in the Middle East. Who cares? I know, I know. It seems obvious. And that's because... It is obvious. 
as long as you remember how stocks are moving in this market. Why did defense stocks get so high anyway? Because of geopolitical tensions in Korea. When the companies failed to deliver on heightened expectations, their stocks get thrown out. But that was a full 10 days ago. Who cares? Nobody can even remember what went wrong with Lockheed Martin. I, I, I'm probably the only person who remembers, okay? I mean, this market has the memory of a mayfly. The smart money got the defense stocks wrong because these clever money managers figured the earnings would still matter. Nah, only the obvious matters. Speaking of obvious, the oil stocks have been going down because everyone figured the rally in crude has to be over. We had the big bad event, right? Oil been climbing on fears that Trump would spike the Iran deal. The smart money assumed that this was the news that had to be baked in, and they're selling the oil stocks. But it turns out the obvious is never fully baked in in this market, which is why the oil stocks actually, well, let's... Don't want to bury Lee, but they started buying them at the end of the day. At the same time, buyers poured into the airlines this morning, finally betting that oil had crested and it was safe to come out of their bunkers and start buying. We saw furious buying United Continental, American Delta by the so-called smart money that had been waiting for crude to roll over. Everyone with half a brain thought that the oil rally was done. But half a brain is too much for this market. You want to use a quarter of your brain at most. The less brain, the better. Because just like we saw with the defense stocks that have been thrown away, the buyers came lapping in after the president's announcement, and they bought every single energy stock. It was almost too good to be true. We got an event that inflames the Middle East, and oil goes uh, even higher. Uh, it's like you've been living under a rock. I mean, Trump, who thought that Trump wouldn't spike the deal? Anybody? Was there anyone who didn't think he, he wouldn't? If you had done a lot of homework and you had a good memory, you would have been selling the oils, not buying them. As that would be, as would be the case with almost every other market I have ever witnessed. And all that thinking and history and knowledge would have betrayed you as the oils just roared and roared again. This market did the unthinkable. You are not supposed to be able to make money in such an obvious way. But the obvious is what's working. Then are the people I call the pause buyers. These folks are out there all day picking up certain stocks. They walk them up for a few minutes. and they make sure. Then they walked away to be sure that the president didn't pull off some surprise. When they ended the pause, they came back with a vengeance, buying hand over fist. We saw that today in three of the cloud kings, Adobe, which is the king of the commerce cloud, Salesforce, the king of customer relations management, Workday, the king of human resources and finance. Now, what always intri- is intriguing about these moves like this is that they're totally unjustified. These buyers just keep pulling the trigger over and over and over again. Is there something going on? And there isn't. There's nothing going on. But these buyers can't help themselves. It's a compulsion. The banks had a nice day, too, spurred on by totally idiotic buying in Citigroup because a fund called Value Act took a small position in the stock and said it was undervalued. Well, that's a real good reason to buy. Citi's sort of the news anyway. It's kind of nutty. If anyone thinks Value Act's going to force change here, that's downright silly. Obviously, though, it spurred a ton of buying in and the rest of the banks, as if Eureka, hey, this group must be cheap. I mean, where have those buyers been for the last few weeks? Of course, at the end of the day, investors who've been waiting for whatever the president would do since the, the Iran deal was now dead, so they came back and started buying anything anyway. Which leads me back to my point. This market is stupid. It's just dumb. Yesterday, we soared at the opening because Warren Buffett said things were terrific. The buying stayed strong until the president tweeted he was going to make an announcement about Iran. The market then cascaded down, and once again, everyone who bought that up opening got obliterated. It's become almost a ritual of money losing. Up opening, buy, get killed, give up, 
You'd think people would have learned by now. Except in addition to being dumb, again, this market has no cognition or recall. We combine a total lack of knowledge with an almost childlike belief in whatever happens to be driving stock higher. That's the hallmark of this moment. Childlike beliefs. In a smart market, oil would have been down today. The defense stocks would have run going into the rate announcement and sold off badly at the end of the day. Put it another way, this market has become really difficult because it doesn't seem to know how to calculate an event. It doesn't know how to discount news. It doesn't know how to game the president. It's ridiculous. But in all my years of investing and trading, I don't think I've ever seen buyers and sellers be faked out so often. And they're being faked out because they're assuming this market is much smarter than it really is. Let me give you my bottom line. This is a market made for people who feel, not people who think. I don't want you to let your emotions rule. I think if you stay disciplined about your conviction, you can ride out these inanities. If you don't have it, you'll be shaken out time and time again. So find a stock you like, wait for the sell-off, then buy. And whatever you do, don't try to outthink the action. Neil in Louisiana. Neil! How you doing, Mr. Kramer? Working hard. How about you? Doing fine, doing fine. I had a question about Camping World Holdings, CWH, today. They came out with their quarterly report today, and they posted record first quarter results on many metrics, including the total revenue increase of over 20% and same-store sales increase of over 4%. Yet they closed down between 16% and 17% at about $23.02, which is just a dollar north of their IPO price at $22.00. What's causing this huge discrepancy between the reality and the stock price itself? Well, they they didn't beat the estimates. They actually um, uh, were below the estimates. And that's why in this market, you've got to beat the estimates if you have any chance of getting the stock to go higher. So that's, you know, so, I mean, in your calculus, you have to understand that you have to beat and raise. And they did not do that. How about Rick in Michigan, please? Rick. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. Well, um, Abby, A-B-B-V, and I got an interesting email this afternoon. I own a position in it, and it was a tender offer to buy $7. billion worth of shares, $7.5 right. billion shares, and with a no less price of 99 no more price of 114 Now, I do have a position, and normally I would think this would be positive. What's your opinion on should I add to my position? No, I just I actually just want you to ride this one out. Just own it. It's got a 3.86% yield. If it comes down below that range, then you want to buy it. Probably won't do that, but I don't want to add to more because the stock happened to have just been dramatically lower just a few days ago. How about to Rajiv in New Jersey, please? Rajiv. Hi, Jim. Uh, my question is about Comscope. Comscope is one of the biggest telecom vendors for 5G. They recently had an earnings release, and their stock took a nosedive. Oh, but that was, that was a horrible, Rajiv, that was a horrible, horrible, uh, you know, they did terribly. I mean, that was a bad conference call. I, you know, I, I, you got to stay away from those guys. They are in the deep penalty box as far as I'm concerned. All right, this market is made for investors who have conviction. Otherwise, you're going to be shaken out time and time again because it's just so stupid. It makes all sorts of dumb moves. On my money tonight, new name, who dis? Value might be dissing itself from its past with a new name and ticker symbol, but is that enough to change its image? I've got the CEO. Then the go-to names of 2017 took a, a bit of a hit over the past month. But could it be time to circle back to the likes of Caterpillar, Boeing, and United Technologies? I'm going off the charts to find out. And it's one of the best success stories in the fintech sector, and you may never have heard of it. I'll reveal the name when I sit down with the CEO. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. 
follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Has Valiant finally got a real turnaround going? The once troubled company reported a phenomenal quarter this morning, and stock caught fire, vaulting $1.61, really 9%. For those of you who don't remember, Valiant's the big pharmaceutical roll-up that nearly collapsed under the weight of its own chicanery. Stock plummeted from $262 at the peak in 2015, down to $9 a little more than a year ago, and management was replaced. Now the stock's back to 19 and it looks like the company is well on its way to putting the past behind it. Uh, that also includes changing its name to Bausch health companies, uh, nod to its most famous brand, Bausch & Lohm. What made people so excited about this quarter? Bausch, nay, Valiant, reported better-than-expected top and bottom-line numbers, with the company posting its first organic revenue growth since 2015. Management raised full-year sales guidance. More importantly, they've made a lot of progress selling off non-core businesses and then using that money to pay down the massive amount of debt on the balance sheet. Oh, and some of their businesses are really sore, including Salix, the gastrointestinal uh, division, up 40%. Stunning turn. So let's check in with Joe Poppies, the chairman and CEO of Valiant, soon to be Bausch Health Companies, to get a better sense of the quarter and the state of the turnaround that he is masterminding. Mr. Popper, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Joe. Hi, Jim. Good to see you. Good to well, see you. you said you came on the show and you said first you would clean up the balance sheet, you'd yep. fix the lawsuits, and then you would start introducing new drugs that would really move the needle. You had done the first two, okay? Now tell us about the third, because it looks like you're doing that, too. Yeah, so we, we are really excited about the quarter, as you said. We had a right. great quarter. Uh, we exceeded our expectations, and it's a great start to 2018. But now what we're doing is we're launching new products. We have this product, Lumify. We just started shipping yesterday. Really exciting product. It's, it's a much better way to relieve the redness in the eye. It doesn't have the vasoconstriction of the arterial side. Therefore, you don't get the rebound. It's, we think, going to be a really successful product. So for, for those of us who, who would use uh, Safe-Eyesine five, six times a day, is it the answer? We think it's a much better answer because okay. it doesn't have that rebound effect that you sometimes see yep. uh, with other products. We're really excited about it. And we're, we're going to be out promoting it to the physicians, but also obviously selling it over the counter. Uh, we think the combination of those two, we've seen it work before in the past. We think it'll work again for the future. Okay, you have a slide in your deck, which is always yours, as transparent as possible. Zyfax and achieve blockbuster status with $1 billion in sales during the first quarter of 2018. Big. Very big. And, and what we did Where's there is we, we made some investment in this product. What we did is uh, we, when I got there, one of the first things I looked at is how are we doing with a brand new indication? We had uh, irritable bowel syndrome, right. diarrhea oriented. We went after it and we said, listen, that's a primary care opportunity. We need to reach the primary care uh, general practitioners, mm -hmm. internal medicine. We had to get our message out there. We found this product could be out promoted to primary care. And in fact, uh, as you said, it was up 49% in the quarter. Really strong performance, really good efforts by our sales and marketing team. Uh, we had changed the leadership. We needed a new leader. He's done a fabulous job in making this a success. Now, Bausch is a, a storied name. Uh, you want to people to remember. Uh, you know, do you think people remember? 
I think so. Um, it's a 165-year-old company, uh, Bausch, Bausch and uh, Lam, and importantly, has a great legacy of innovation. They came out with some of the first um, eyeglasses. They came out with some of the first soft contact lenses. Right. So we're building on that innovation. As we thought about where was Valiant going, we said Bausch Health is perfect. And that, number one, it's not just a pharmaceutical company because we do contact lenses, medical devices, but then also we said that this innovation is all about what we're about in the future. One of the things you asked me about when I first joined the company, I, I increased uh, research and development this year by 15% because we firmly believe it is these new products that will help us to improve our earnings and then obviously help us continue to reduce the but debt. But you brought back a lot of debt, and I think people should know that your debt, all, almost all of it trades at a premium now. I mean, it, it, and you move the, the uh, all of your dates of maturities were moved back. You've got a lot of room to be able to spend more money and introduce more new products. Yeah, my, my CFO, Paul Herodine, has done an absolute right. fabulous job of managing our debt. And what we were able to do uh, is we paid $6.9 billion of debt since uh, the second quarter of 2016. So we, in two years, we've paid down $6.9 billion. We still have $25 billion right. to go. But importantly, we gave ourselves what I call freedom to operate right. in the near term so we can invest in products like Cyfaxin, invest in Lumify, and then grow those products to help patients to help improve their lives. And then that's what we think is going to help us drive the long-term shareholder value for our company. Now, uh, Bausch and Salix both had double-digit organic growth. So, I mean, that is just, some of these are older brands, but they just needed to have more promotion or what? Yeah. So one of the things I did quickly was saying, where are the growth drivers? Right. We clearly said that the GI, Salix business is a growth driver. Bausch & Lam is a growth driver. Together, those two parts of our business represent 76% of our total business, and this you said this year, right. ten this quarter, first quarter, up ten percent uh, combined for those two businesses. So obviously, Cyfaxin and Salix with the star, right. but combined, seventy-six percent of the business growing ten percent. And as you said, for the very first time, we've shown organic growth. First time since two thousand fifteen on organic growth. How much of it is online? Because I saw the Amazon numbers are 40, plus 44%. Yeah, it is, especially for our over-the-counter business, our Lumify, our Soothe XP, our Preservision. A lot of that's on over-the-counter on, over products are online, but we still do very well with all the retailers. Well, well, you know, congratulations. I, I, was, I was a doubter, but you convinced me when you fixed the balance sheet and you got the lawsuit solved. So then I knew that you'd have the growth, too, because that's what you do. You deliver. That's Joe Poppies, chairman and CEO of Valiant Pharmaceuticals, soon to be known as the story name Bausch Health Companies come July. Congratulations, Joe. You did Thank a great you. job. Thank you very much. Congratulations. Stick with Kramer. Coming up, Kramer reveals what might be the best company you've never heard of. The stock has more than tripled over the last five years. And Kramer sits down with the CEO when Mad Money returns. So far, this earnings season has been a lot of pretty much hit or miss. You got some big winners like Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Valiant just today, which exploded higher on excellent numbers. Then you got some real misses, and some of them are a little unusual because they're great American companies. We've had companies with very strong results, nevertheless, see their stocks get demolished based on a line or two in the conference call, not even in the statement, in the conference call that made investors feel like the earnings might be peaking. That's why Caterpillar got clobbered. They described the past quarter as the high watermark, even as the company raises full-year earnings guidance for a couple of bucks. They did walk that comment back today. Apparently, uh, high watermark is not what they really meant for the quarter. Whatever, it was too late. 
uh, the damage had already been done. Boeing did great, but it got hit with a correction, too, and now it's facing a possible loss of a $17 billion order to Iran Air. Uh, now that the president has exited the Iran nuclear deal. Or how about United Technologies? In many ways, this was the best one, but the stock rolled over here. It, it was an incredible quarter. These are all high-quality companies, and they all got clobbered as people started to worry that this was the last good quarter. So could the pullbacks in CAT, Boeing, and United Technologies, three big cap stocks, represent buying opportunities? To help answer that question, we got to go off the charts. So we did it with Bob Lang. He's the founder of ExplosiveOptions.net, as well as being the brilliant technician in the two-man all-star team behind the Street.com's Trifecta Stock newsletter that I like so much. Lang believes the selling in these three former market darlings was premature, to say the least. In his view, it's merely giving you yet another fabulous buying opportunity. I don't know anyone else who thinks this. I'm not kidding. I could not find a soul. So that's why this is so important. Why does he like it? Because the numbers look good and the technicals look even better. Let's start with the daily chart of the most controversial stock in this market, perhaps, which is Caterpillar. Here's a stock that's had a phenomenal run last year before going into a tailspin in late January that it really has not recovered from. See? To make matters worse, when Cat reported a few weeks ago, they made that high-water mark comment, and the stock got annihilated. Now, Lang points out that it's currently back in the consolidation area between 139 and 152. He believes that if the stock can actually break out above 152, it could be smooth sailing right back to Cat's old ceiling resistance at one at in the 160s. I like this because I don't know a soul who feels that's going to happen other than Bob. Caterpillar started bouncing on Friday, and that bounce continued yesterday on high volume. You can see the volume here, okay? Um, still, when you look at the Williams percent R indicator, okay, that's an oscillator down at the bottom, measures when stocks have gotten overbought or oversold. You can see cats still near the midpoint. In other words, the stock has more room to run before it gets overbought. At the same time, there's the MACD, the Moving Average Convergence Divergence Indicator. All right, now this is really important. It helps technicians detect changes in stock's trajectory before they happen, not after a coincidence. This thing just flashed right here. Just flashed a buy signal yesterday. That's where the black line crosses over the red one. And this tends to be a very reliable indicator. So I didn't see this coming, but he sure did. Put it all together in line, please. The Caterpillar can rally three bucks from here, breaking out over its 152 ceiling resistance, and then coast to the 160s. That would be something, wouldn't it? Big cap Dow stock. All right, now, okay, how about the chart of Boeing? Another controversial one, pretty interesting. Boeing was going real strong until late February when people started worrying about the possible fallout of an escalating trade war with China. Boeing sells a lot of planes to the Chinese, but there's so much demand for passenger aircraft, I think the PRC could boycott this entire company, and it wouldn't make that much of a difference. The waiting list for commercial jets is just too long. Plenty of other countries would be happy to take China's place. Boeing got clobbered again when it reported a couple of weeks ago. And while it's mostly bounced back, the stock is still 33 points from its high. According to Lang, Boeing is just consolidating here. That's all that's happening after its epic run. On top of that, Lang likes that the stock has been bouncing on high volume. Okay. Uh, remember, for chartist volume, it's kind of like a polygraph test. It, it, it lets you know whether or not a move is telling the truth, and this move is honest. Now, Boeing is the best performer in the defense and aerospace group at the moment, although th- at the moment that's not really saying much except for today. The sector's been clubbed, and not necessarily for the best reasons. For example, Lockheed Martin LMT reported fabulous beat and raise quarter two weeks ago. Yet its stock got decked because while management boosted their sales and earnings forecast, they left their cash flow forecast unchanged. Every other 
the line item was much stronger than anticipated. It didn't matter. You know what? I thought it was really silly. I don't think it should sold down like that and it's coming back, um, especially at a time of serious geopolitical tensions. Who honestly believes that defense contractors are a sale now that President Trump is pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal? Sooner or later, the aerospace and defense sector should bounce. And when that happens, Lang's betting that Boeing will get the most attention because it's been the best performer in the group. A little convoluted here today because Boeing obviously uh, has an Iran order that's in jeopardy and the other defense stocks did run. But maybe uh, we don't know how many days that's going to last. Right now, Boeing sits at, at 338. If the stock can break out above 345, up a little more than 2% from here, then Lang thinks it could head straight back to its old highs of 370 and beyond. Again, I don't know anyone thinking that. As regular viewers know, I see it going to 400, but I didn't see it in this time frame. Now, don't forget, the last time Bo- uh, Lang told us to buy Boeing, I actually included and get rich carefully because I thought it was a great call. It was October 12th. I mean, it was October of 2012, okay? And I said, I think he's really right. He says this is going to be a big one. You know where the stock was? 73, okay? A year later, it was at 130, and now it's at 338. Do you trust Lang on Boeing? Yeah, me too. Finally, let's take a gander at one of my absolute favorites, the Daily Chart of United Technologies, UTX. Glamour with big exposure, climate controls, elevators, that's Otis and Aerospace, Pratt & Whitney. This is yet another industrial that reported a much better than expected quarter, and the stock has nevertheless gotten hit. Again, the main reason? China. Specifically fears that China might punish the company's Otis elevator business if we don't resolve the trade dispute. So what does Lang think about the chart? In his view, United Technologies is the baby that got thrown out with the industrial bathwater. When the stock broke down last week, it did fall below its 200-day. You know, everyone hates it when anything falls below its 200-day, okay? And, uh, it, it, and from Lang's perspective, that's a meaningful negative. However, we also saw institutional buyers step in around 117 to 120, okay, right around here. Uh, he judges that by the big volume. That's how you know it's institutional buyers. Okay, and, and he thinks that's the floor, which is good because the stock's currently up above about a buck from those levels. So it went down here, crossed the 200-day, which is very negative, and then bounced back, which is terrific. Now the relative strength index or RSI is an important momentum indicator. Okay, uh, and bottom just last week and started turning higher. You can see that. Lang thinks that was a very good sign for United Technologies. Put it all together, and he believes that this stock could be a real winner if it just busts through the ceiling of resistance at 126. That's where it has to go. It peaked last month. That's uh, also where the 50-day moving average is sitting at the moment. As long as United Technologies is here in the low 120s, Lang is staying on the sidelines. But he would get very bullish on a breakout above 126. Me, I think the stock's too cheap. I like it right here. Bottom line, if you think the market's overreacting when it punished Caterpillar, Boeing, and United Technologies after they report ostensibly good quarters, then I've got to say the charts, as interpreted by Bob Lang, agree with you. He's bullish on CAT and Boeing right here, and we'll go positive United Technologies if it can rally just a couple of bucks from where it's currently trading. Let's go to Nicholas in Florida, please. Nicholas. Booyah, Jim. It's Nicholas again from sunny Boca Raton, Florida. Well, it's good to have you on board. What's going on? Well, my grandfather and great-grandfather both worked for Exxon for over 40 years. Along with the stock my grandfather acquired over his long career, which I planned on holding, I purchased more at the 2014 highs and have been riding it through the highs and lows. I've had the dividends for the past four years, but I'm down significantly since the 2014 levels. It's continuing to hold this stock worthwhile. Yes, no, I want you to. The last quarter was not a good one. They didn't have the production growth, say, of a Chevron. But I would never get rid of Exxon at a a 4.2% yield. That is just too cheap. I think that Exxon's going to be able to grow it, grow grow the uh, production. But understand, it was the production that was down meaningfully. And that's why that stock didn't participate in the oil rally. How about we go to Ad in Florida? Ad. 
Hey, Mr. Kramer. Yes. My question to you is, is it still a good idea to have a uh, long-term investment as part of your portfolio in dividend reinvestments such as uh, equities like Pfizer? Yeah, look, Pfizer's not my favorite. I prefer Merck to Pfizer, but yes. I mean, Pfizer's a good company, just hasn't done much lately. Just keep reinvesting the dividends. Compound dividends is the best way to make a lot of money. How about we go to Bob in California? Bob. Hey, Kramer, how you doing? Hey, what yeah. about... Wondered about Cisco. Uh, I've been watching this dog for about 15 years. You think maybe a merger coming up or no, no merger, just great, great earnings. And I've got to tell you, I think that Chuck Robbins is doing a remarkable job. I think that stocks are buy. I like every move, including a video move they just made. I love the fact that they uh, bought Amy Chang's company. There is nothing but net when it comes to Cisco, and it's very inexpensive. The earnings season has been hit or miss. If you think the market overreacted to the downside on CAT, Boeing, and United Technologies. The charts, as suggested by Bob Lang, say they can go higher. Much more made money, including my exclusive with a company that's up 320% over the past five years, and it might not even be in your radar. You probably even know it. Then is there room for optimism when it comes to the stock of General Electric? Don't make a move before hearing my take and all your calls. Rapid fire tonight's just up the lightning round, so stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. And the high water mark, that didn't work. That didn't hold water. The high water mark didn't hold water. There was a hole in the bucket, dear Caterpillar. (laughs) Dear Liza. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. This is a treat. Let me introduce you to one of the best companies you've probably never heard of. I'm talking about Broad Ridge Financial Solutions, BR for you home gamers. The financial technology business that was spun off by automatic data processing back in 2007. The company's been taking share and taking names ever since, with the stock gaining more than 320% over the past five years. If you're in the financial sector, these guys can help you transform your business. They help banks become more efficient, better at managing risk, and better at engaging with their clients. And a brokerage might even have a lot more room to run. company reported an excellent quarter this morning, delivering a 21-cent earnings beat off a 79-cent basis, higher than expected revenues, up 6% year-over-year. Even better, Broadbridge raised its full-year earnings guidance. Stocks surged more than 3% today to a new all-time high. Can it keep climbing? Let's take a closer look at this exciting company with with Rich Daly, the CEO of Brobridge Financial Solutions. Learn more about the quarter and where the company said, Mr. Daly, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Well, great to be here. Have a seat. All right. Thank you. Your first time on, so I think first I uh, just have, if you can tell people how your company has had an astounding 300% plus game when the market kind of did nothing. Well, Jim, first of all, you know, we're in great space. We're a trusted, emphasis on trust, right. trusted fintech leader. Okay. All right. We have two great businesses. We have a governance communications business, focused a lot on retail investors, and we have a capital market solutions business. Now, financial services has been looking to outsource and reduce costs for decades. Right. Through those two businesses, we have the opportunity to grow in wealth management as well as asset management. But let me give you the overall big picture. We do a little over $4 billion in revenue right now. The market, the addressable market today is $40 billion. So the best is yet to come. Now, just in terms of the number of trades that you supervise, you know, there's, the numbers are rather large. 
just give people like you know what you do every single day. Sure. So in our capital market solution business, we participate in six trillion a day. Trillion. <laughs> six trillion. That's what I'm doing. I was reading that and I said, how can I not know you guys? Okay. How can someone do six trillion a day and people don't know? You? We're the behind the scenes player. Okay. So we're the technology for 18 of the 23 primary dealers. Okay. Right now, right in the right. communications segment, we process. The majority of meetings in every annual meeting across the globe, I'm talking about 100 countries, all right? In the U.S. or North America, it's over 80% of outstanding shares. Everywhere else in the globe, it's over 50% of the outstanding shares. And how about shares. the proxies? That's proxy. Just proxy fights. I'm yes. sorry, the proxy fights. You're involved. Well, some it, of them you it, think you could advise better, right? Well, we're the honest broker. So advise is a different word. Okay. We don't care who wins or loses. All right. All we right. care that it's right. Okay. All right? So, but we strongly believe that critical proxy contests, if they use the standards and technology that we use, right. they'd be far better off and we wouldn't wind up in snake pits or other really horrible places at the end. Right, and we've had some automatic data. It was, got difficult. Procter & Gamble got difficult. Shouldn't have gotten difficult. Got ugly. That's absolutely correct. All right, now I wanted to... Um, your company, more than any other company that I've been looking into, actually believes in the importance of the retail investor. The people who watch this show, you care. Jim, my career started with the proxy business and an extra bedroom. It's retail investors that make that business meaningful. The first message I have to your listeners is they matter. Okay. They decided the outcome in P&G. They decided the outcome in DuPont. And in every company, with things like say on pay out there, companies, managements care what retail investors think. Let me give you the overall number. Retail investors make up one-third of the ownership of the U.S. markets or North American markets. One-third. That matters. They're only voting at about 30%, slightly less. Their voice needs to be heard. Technology is going to be the answer. We invented telephone voting three decades ago. We invented online voting. We now have mobile voting. 65% of what we do is paperless. Right. You can get your proxy here. Just go to proxyvote.com with any proxy you receive from us. It doesn't matter who your broker is. Go to proxyvote.com, sign up once, and for every position in your account today and every position going forward, you'll be able to vote like I do in three clicks. We have to get you to help us. I'm thinking about I'm this. In. When we have these big proxy fights, we have to get you to show people what to do because we have a huge number of retail investors, and you're the first person who's ever come on this show who actually is trying to help people make it, not advise, but show them the technology so they can play a role. Absolutely. Technology is the answer to everything we do at Broadridge. Well, you know, I'm kind of stunned because it hit me. This is it. I mean, when we have people who want to do these uh, proxy battles, people don't, you know, they, they don't know how to do it. You do, and you can help them. There's an entire industry out there to cause confusion right. in these battles. The answer is transparency. It's technology. At Broadridge, investing in technology is something we consistently do. We talked about that in right. our call today. Right. I read we talked call. about doing it in the next quarter as well. And overall, we've invested heavily in technology, whether it be in digital technology for retail investors, right. whether it be in proxy right. mobile technology, blockchain, AI, cloud communications. All right. Well, we're, you know, keep all this in mind. This is, this is Rich Daly. He's the CEO of Broadbridge Financial Solutions. He cares about your voice. Mid Money's back after the break. 
It is time to start for the light. We're going to do a and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Andrew in New Jersey. Andrew. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I am I doing well. How about you? Pretty good. I watch it every day, and you're great. My Thank question you. is, with T-Mobile hopefully merging with Sprint, should I go and buy T-Mobile? Yes, at $55. That is ridiculous. Ah. Call me a buyer. John Ledger's not this bad or stupid. Joyce in California. Joyce. Hi, Jim. Thank you so much for taking my call. All right, quite welcome. Um, my question is Skechers. I've had it for a little over three years, and I'm wondering if I should hang on well, to it. Well, the last quarter was quite bad. I'd like to see the boys come back on and give us a little sense of what's happening, because otherwise, I'm not venturing into that one. Let's go to Les in Virginia. Les! Hey, Jim, uh, is Philip Morris a buy, a hold, or a sell? Man, that was opinion? a very emotional sell-off, but I've got to tell you that Jewel has got me worried that this is now a value trap at 5%. I'm not touching it. Bertie in Kentucky. Bertie. Hello, Jim Kramer. Bertie. I have a question about Key Corp. I think uh, it's a dog. Uh, well, Key has not done time. as well as the other banks, and candidly, I like a Colin Frost more. I think that's a better one. I like a first horizon more. Let's go to Gary in Texas. Gary. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. It's Gary from the heart of the Permian Basin. Really? Holy cow, yes, I just sir. saw Simrex numbers. I thought they looked good. What's up? Hey, uh, Mazer, M-Z-O-R. It was doing good, and it's kind of dragging the last few months. Yeah, I now feel like that we're going to overstay our welcome if I stay on that one. So I'm going to say intuitive surgical ISRG is the one I want to be in. Let's go to Carlos in Illinois. Carlos. Jim, a great big Chicago land. Booyah. No. My stock is AES. Should I hold a sale? I was looking at the charts this weekend. I said, holy cow, that and dust, that kind of bizarre agglomeration of power plants and stuff is doing well. I say buy it. Let's go to Max in New Jersey. Max. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Love your show. Thank you. I want to pick your brain on CNX resources. Oil and gas production is now good. I think it's good. I didn't like it for a long time, but they've come back. And I think they're good to go. They have a little too much natural gas, so don't get too excited. Let's go to Dennis in Michigan. Dennis. Jim, how you doing? All right, how about you? Good, buddy. Thank you. Thanks for all you do for us. Thank you. Question is about uh, Western Digital. Your thoughts? God, it's, it's so darn low. It's so darn low. I can't tell you to sell it. I know that Flash is, is rolling over, though. Um I can't tell you to sell it. I, I, I just can't. I can't tell you to sell it at 77. That's kind of where I am on that thing. Let's go to Ryan in New Jersey. Ryan. Hey, Jim. What's yeah. your opinion on FRBK? That's Vernon Hills Bank. You know I love Vernon. I think that that's a good situation. I would be a buyer. It's down too low. I'm going to take another. Let's go to Steve in Oklahoma. Steve. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Love your show and want to compliment you first on your unique blend of investing, education, Thank and you. entertainment. Thank Great you. job. That's what we want. My question today is about Sienna, C-I-E-N. Sienna had a monster quarter. I wish that Gary would come back on. He is such a good manager. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. 
take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. Has General Electric bottomed? The stock's been clinging to the $14 level pretty stubbornly after it dipped down to 12 bucks. And you know what? I think there's room for a tad bit of optimism here. Why do I think GM could be done going down when the biggest bears seem to be doubling down on their negativity, saying lots of things about how the company's going to hit us with more guide downs as the year goes by? Well, let's go business line by business line. First, we have to start with aerospace. Throughout this whole ignominious era for General Electric, nobody's ever doubted the company's jet engines. I keep waiting for some bear to argue that GE's aviation business was damaged under Jeff Immelt's tenure as CEO, but no one's willing to go there, not with this division's $200 billion backlog. Yet, just like the rest of aerospace and all the other companies, business is strong here. Remember, GE did build America's first jet engine, and while Pratt & Whitney, a division of United Technologies, has the geared turbofan engine, which is taking some share, GE's still got a fantastic install base to service. Uh, its engines power two out of every three departures. It, Fantastic. Second, how about healthcare? John Flannery, the current CEO, came from the healthcare side of the business, where he turned it from a loser to a winner. Something that people seem to forget whenever they periodically talk about how he's being overwhelmed by the job. No one's quite sure what each piece of the GE puzzle is worth. But the Wall Street Journal did report that last month Danaher, a stock we own from my charitable trust, tried to buy GE's life sciences business for $20 billion. Even though there are no ongoing talks here, if this story is true, it changes the equation very much in GE's favor. Because that $20 billion valuation shows the healthcare division as a whole may be worth more than people think. And look, Danaher is the best acquirer in the sector, so maybe that was just an opening bid. If GE were really in trouble, then it probably would have taken the deal. This story was very undercovered and very bullish for GE. Third, we know GE's debating a spin-off for the transportation biz, the best locomotive company on earth. As we've heard from every single railroad operator in America, there's not a lot of demand for locomotives in this country. But last quarter, GE said in an $18 billion backlog year, that's good enough for an IPO or a spin. And now the piece de resistance, why I'm even doing this piece. I'm willing to even entertain the notion of a bottom because of Baker Hughes, a GE company. Look, I know oil's gotten overheated here, but with crude at 69 bucks a barrel, the equation has changed for the giant oil service company that's buried within GE and has got a public stub. The Saudis and the Russians are in control here. Putin needs oil higher. Saudis want it higher so they can take a Ramco public with a more than trillion dollar valuation. That's going to put a real floor under oil, which means GE should have no trouble finding buyers for pieces of Baker Hughes, a GE company. Please lose that stupid name, GE. Until oil spiked, I thought once again, GE would be stuck buying high and selling low. But John Flannery now is breathing room. It's a huge break and will lead to great prices for that oil service business. It's a pretty storied, it's a, it's a storied, let's say, agglomeration. Now, that's very important because GE Power, despite its $98 billion backlog, is in real trouble. 
undeniable. There's just not nearly enough demand for their natural gas power plants going forward. The Alstom construction portion, Jeff Immelt's last acquisition and one that Flannery checked off on is unacceptably bad. Alstom is the main reason why the bears are sticking to their guns. Well, also because of all the different things they keep uncovering, that, like the mortgage business that's so bad, long-term care. I, I hope those are done. The price of oil up, natural gas prices through the floor, Hope springs eternal for GE Power. Look, I understand the bear thesis, but the bears need to wrap their heads around the fact that GE made a big bet on oil right near the top. And while that was certainly a bad decision, it looks a whole lot less terrible as the price of crude makes a comeback. In short, geopolitics is now giving Flannery a huge break. If he takes it, I think GE will not have to cut its dividend again and not have to guide down. And the stock may have bottomed. If he doesn't, frankly, that's inconceivable to me. But then again, inconceivable was the province of Flannery's predecessor, not Flannery himself. Stick with Kramer. All right, let's be obvious. I mean, that's the theme of tonight's show. You want an obvious oil stock? How about General Electric? Because oil stocks are going higher. I also would entertain the idea of buying the stock of Chevron, all right? Or Schlumberger, the oil service company. If you want to know what's going to work on the other side of defense, I suggest you buy Raytheon. It is still way too low on it for the charitable trust. But you know what? Lockheed Martin will work, as will Harris. Yes, defense and oil because of what's going on in the Middle East. Normally, I'd say that's way too stupid, but not in this market. In this market, it's just right. I like to say there's always a bull market, so I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.